Welcome back to DevCast. And this week, we'll talk about the new kind of database. We were talking about the different kinds of databases in the past. We talked about MongoDB. And a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, we talked about the new database from Microsoft, Microsoft called DocumentDB. But now we should talk about a different kind of databases. It's called graph databases. And I have a guy on the line, David Montag, that is, I think, the best guy to answer the question, why is the graph databases any special and when should you use it or when should you not use it as David should uh, maybe say. So welcome here, David. Thank you. Thank you very much, Doug. <laughs> Appreciate being on the show. Uh, should you first present yourself so we know who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is David Montag. I've been with uh, Neo, Neo Technology, uh, which is the company that builds Neo4j. Right? I've been with Neo for about four years now. I did uh, three years in the U.S. and I helped establish our technical presence there. And uh, now I'm in Europe, uh, helping coordinate uh, our uh, our technical sales efforts here. So I work with a lot of different customers um, all over the place. Right? Uh, I'm currently focusing on the Nordics and uh, really uh, looking to. Uh, um, to spread Neo and spread the word about graph databases. Um, I'm happy to be on the show and, and, uh, and hopefully do that. Uh, uh, we, are, we are currently in Sweden, as you hear from me, from my dialect, of course. Uh, and the history about Neo4j is rather uh, centric around Sweden. Should we take that first? And, uh, of course, in the history, you, of course, will tell us why we need a graph database. Why, why did its project start that, that's a great question, right? And, and as you said, the, the history is very Swedish. It is a, a Swedish company originally. Today, it's headquartered in the U.S., but uh, a lot of uh, uh, key parts of management, at least, are, are still uh, uh, Swedish, and uh, and the founders are Swedish, right? So it was uh, originally created, the product near for j right, the graph database, was originally created in 2001, uh, um, internally uh, at an asset management company uh, that was called Wind Technologies and uh, basically a digital asset management company, right? They serve companies like the, the Swedish Defense, right, for, uh, for imagery and video, this kind of stuff. And they realized that um, the application they were building uh, was not very easy to fit into a relational database. And uh, one of the more interesting features that they were able to build once they had designed Neo instead um, was that the, you can search for a keyword, let's say uh, house, and type in the word house. Uh, the system knows that the word house is related to the, the concept of a house, right? And then you may have different pieces of content tagged with this concept, right? Uh, but you may as well have searched for das house in German, right? or uh, who's in Swedish, right? And uh, you would still get this relevant content that was, that, was, that pictured houses, right? So if somebody tagged it in German, you could still search in another language, which is a very interesting feature and quite, quite powerful at that time, right? Uh, um, what, was, was it any, uh, so say, graph databases uh, already then, or was this the first one? This was the first one. Um, that, that's right. So you can't found in the graph space, right? Um, if you look at, at other database categories, there are some uh, 
kind of what what I would call kind of the database categories today, like the the network databases of the I don't know was it seventies or eighties. The object databases uh, tried to tried to establish themselves as well. That didn't work. Uh, but graphs have done really well, and there, there are a couple different reasons for that. Um, one being just the, the product and how it works, how easy it is to understand. Uh, another one is just general timing right in the market. Um, so they started to do it if internally for a company. What happened after that? What was the next step? Yeah, so in 2006, 2007, the database space was heating up, right? And uh, NoSQL was uh, was kind of being established. And uh, I, I don't know if all the listeners know what NoSQL is, right? But it stands for not only SQL. And uh, it's kind of an umbrella term uh, for a set of, da- of databases that needed to uh, distinguish themselves uh, from the established relational database, right? And... Uh, Neo was at that time spun off as a separate company, right? So the product Neo4j that was running internally, it's been in production since 2003, uh, so it's quite a while. Um, it was spun off in, in its own company, Neo Technology, right? And uh, um, the the premise was that this is super valuable to us within Lind. Uh, other people should be able to find value from it as well, right? And um, from there on, it's it's only grown more and more, right? So so now we know that. And um, sorry that uh, the headquarters. Why is the headquarters in the states? <laughs> is it so important, or <laughs> yeah, it is actually. Um, it, and it's it's hard to explain now. That that wasn't part of my decision personally. Um, so, so I can't speak to 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 all the details there. Uh, but but it is a fact that that Silicon Valley is a very different place uh, when it comes to um, understanding adoption of of new technologies, right? Uh, and and uh, it's 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 quite well ahead of of really any other place in the world as far as that goes. And if you want to build a big software company, you you have to have a presence there. Um, because that's that's where a lot of key uh, key technologists. Uh, uh, key venture firms and so on are. Right? So, so you lived there for for a couple of years. Yeah, I lived there for three years, yeah. um, and uh, it was uh, it was a, a, a whole lot of fun, right? So, it took Neo from a small presence in the U.S. to uh, well, today I think we're somewhere below eighty people in the world. Um, so we're we, we've grown quite a bit since then. So, so you're not so big company. You said you were eighty employees or something like that. Yeah, uh, and, and I guess it depends on how you define big, right? But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're 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 about eighty today, and, and constantly growing. I I do want to point that out. Uh, so in the middle of, of the of the of the last uh, of, of of what do you say uh, from two thousand five and so on so on the the database space has been rather crowded with the new kind of databases and new uh, yeah uh, how do you see that uh, evolving the the new kind of databases why why is it so so crowded uh, these years that's that's a great question i think it's worth looking at you know the 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 trends that drove no sql Right, um, and if you look at those, there are at least four trends that we've seen um, behind that movement. Right, and and perhaps the, the one that's that's talked about the most is 
just the the increase in the amount of data we create, right? Um, so if you look at like the 60s, 70s, 80s, we didn't create a whole lot of data. Uh, we didn't even, even have any means to store a whole lot of data, right? Um, and then along came the internet and really fueled that. And then Web 2.0 kicked in with participation, right? Everyone on the web started creating content. Every user started creating content and pushing that in, right? And, and now we're seeing the the advent of or the the, you know, the internet of things starting to take off, right? Where every little sensor somewhere feeds log data into your data center and you need to store it all so you can gain some some more insight from it, right? Because it all becomes a, a a race for more insight. That's the 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 premise here, right? The 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 player who has more insight will win. Um, so everyone's chasing that insight in their data, and uh, it, it is kind of an exponential growth we're dealing with, right? And there's an, an interesting story um, around exponential growth that I, I tell sometimes, which is uh, if you put a drop of water in the middle of a, a full size football stadium. And the drop of water doubles in volume every minute. How long do you think it takes until just the the playing field is covered? Mm, it's like the 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 the, the thing about the chessboard and yes. the beans. I <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> just venture a guess. Um, five hours. It takes about uh, somewhere below fifty minutes oh, wow. for the playing field to be covered. <laughs> How long do you think it takes until the entire stadium is filled to the top? Um, 55 minutes, though. Yeah, around 55 minutes. Yeah! <laughs> that's good. And, and, but that's, that's very unnatural, right? And that's exponential growth that surprises us, right? When you see the playing field covered, you actually need to start running at that point to have any chance of actually getting out, right? And you don't quite understand that always. And we're seeing this exponential growth in data as well, right? So it's, it's reasonable to think that whatever storage solution we had uh, to handle a gallon of water down on the playing field back in the 80s, right, is not the same storage solution necessarily that we use to handle the full football stadium, right? We may need other technology to augment that. And that's... Uh- and that's, of course, mainly the critique mode, uh, mode the old kind of databases, I, if I... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are different, there are definitely multiple kinds of critiques, uh, and and old kinds. There are all kinds of different kinds, right? Uh, relational databases can handle lots, of, lots of data, right? But that leads to another trend uh, that beyond just the volume we're seeing, right? We're also seeing an increase in the connectedness of data, all right? So, so if we take like a retail example, we don't only care about like processing an individual invoice anymore, or some people do, right? But but what's much more interesting where we can learn something is if we look at this invoices for a particular person and uh, this person has these family members who have these interests, maybe the person ha- has a social network who's an influencer in that social network, right? Or we can look at the product in the invoice and see, oh, they're in these categories. Are there similar products we can recommend to this user, right, or to their friends? Uh, and there's so much more around it and it just goes out and out and out and further um, and we we need to be able to handle these connections in a meaningful way, right? Um, and that's something that relational databases have previously been used for, but they're that they're not as good for today. Okay, that was a bit of an overview about the the database space today. Should we drill down more in the graph database? What why what what 
the first and obvious question is, what is a graph database? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, if you go to near4j.com, neo4j, the number four, uh, j.com, you'll see in the background a blue background. And then you'll see what looks like a little network structure there. That's what's called a graph in the mathematical sense. It's a graph, right? And it consists of nodes um, and relationships between those nodes, and the relationships connect them together in, in different ways, right? And Near4j is a, is a database product like Oracle or MySQL, right? It's a database product that stores data not as a table but as a graph. Right? So whatever you draw on a whiteboard is exactly what is stored in the database. And, and now you might ask, right, what, what's the, <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> Which I, I think is your next question. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, go on, okay. go on. <laughs> Great. Um, um, so so the, the reason you want to do that, the reason you want to care about your connections is, well, as we looked at or talked about in, in the retail case, right, with the uh, invoices and people and products, right, the reason you want to care about those connections is because, you, is because you can gain new insights from it, right? That's that's the key part here. And that's what everyone is chasing again, right? Um, and, and what you can do with Neo is you can build a service that changes your business. Uh, and, and let me give you two examples uh, of how we do those kinds of things, right? One is uh, we take queries from running, database queries, uh, from running in minutes to running the equivalent queries in milliseconds, Right. So if you have a query that runs in 15 minutes, then you cannot build a service on that. There is no way you can build a service and expose that to an end user and have them use that in a meaningful way. It's impossible. If it runs in 15 milliseconds, you can actually do that whole thing as part of rendering a web page, right? Can, can, can you explain to me why it's running so much faster? What's the, the, the magic behind that? Yeah, so so that's a great question. Uh, and if I can use one term, the term is called index-free adjacency, right? So whenever you uh, need to do a lookup in a relational database, let's say you have um, a person that has a bank account, right? Uh, when, whenever you need to find the bank account for the person, the relational database needs to go through these these entire tables and match up the rows where the person's ID matches the account's ID, right? And it needs to find the corresponding rows, right, to, to actually make that connection. Uh, and it does that every time you ask that question, right? And you can apply some indexing to make it a little bit faster. Uh, but every time you want to go from one thing to another thing in a relational database, it's going to be costly, right? The database is going to have to do a lot of lifting. In a graph database, there is no lifting at all to be done uh, because the data is represented in a fundamentally different way. Right? It's it's a graph, and going from one node to another has nothing to do with how many nodes there are in total. For example. Okay. 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 You know, I'm a bit. Uh, I really want to see the big, uh, big, big databases and see the uh, comparison between different kinds of queries and also manipulation of data. But uh, I haven't seen that yet. But you say that it is really, really fast. It is really fast. So, so let me give you one example. Right. Um, we work with eBay. They have a, a service that's called eBay Now, which is uh, home delivery. 
right? So if you go online, you can order an item and have it delivered, right? I have a, I have a friend in New York who ordered a flat screen online and he had it delivered to his doorstep in 90 minutes, right? That's, that's, that's pretty cool. And uh, this service is built on Neo, right? So they were previously using MySQL and uh, for doing basically the root calculation. We're going to send this product using this courier to this place, right, at this time and so on. And uh, their, I believe their slowest root calculation took longer to perform than their fastest actual physical delivery of an item. Right. Which is which is pretty slow, and when you introduce that into the the flow of every new purchase, then that seriously affects your competitiveness for that. Right, when other players introduce similar offerings, and uh, what they do now is they store it in Neo, and they can do this root calculation across a set of different carriers and couriers. They can transport a given item to a given location from a certain place at a time with perhaps criteria for the size of the item and the weight uh, and other factors, right? So that, that's that's one thing we do, right? And that check runs immediately uh, when you place the order, right? Um, and another one is uh, is Telenor, uh, which is a Nordic telco. And I think, actually think this is a pretty interesting story as well. Um, a few years back, uh, they had um, basically uh, an internal access control system that controlled access to all corporate cell phone plans, right? And whenever a corporation wanted to administer their cell phone plans, a check would run in that system. Well, it was relational-based, and the way people solve um, any kind of graph problem in a relational database is by uh, pre-computing a static view, right? And they, they did that, and they started the computation at midnight, and it finished sometime in the morning, right? And before it finished, no corporate customers could make any changes to the plans, right? And they projected that this year, uh, this pre-computation would take into the morning, right, or to, to noon or something like that to finish. And that means that before that time, every day, no corporate customers can sign into the system. And as you might imagine, that's, that's a pretty real business risk. Um, for, for a large company, right? Um, so they actually replaced that whole piece with Neo, and there's no pre-computation that needs to be done to resolve these permissions. It's a graph, right? You have an administrator that has access to a group, a smaller group, contains maybe a business unit that goes down to individual uh, cell phone subscriptions. And uh, this check runs immediately in the graph in milliseconds today, right? So, so a graph database is rather simple. It contains nodes and relationships, and both nodes and relationships can have their own properties. Correct. So it's nothing more, and and it's something with the relationship that they always have a what do you know a, a arrow a, a direction. Correct. The relationships always have a direction, and relationships always have a, a single specific type. It can be any type you choose. Uh, you can introduce new types at any time. Um, then we also have uh, what we call labels on nodes. It's just an extra way of categorizing your nodes. So a, a node could be a person node or a... Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then the, you can tie interesting behavior to that label. So you can say index the email field for all people or the email field for all person nodes has to be unique, uh, things like that. Right? Do, uh, 
when we talk about the new SQL databases, what we we always talk about schema-less. Is uh, Neo4j schema-less? Uh, that's a great question. It, it's uh, it's not. Uh, we call it schema optional, right? So if, if you don't tell the database anything, then it's schema-less. Uh, but you can introduce schema optionally if you want, such as, for example, a constraint on a property, right? Or indexes or something like that. Or indexes. You can create indexes as well. Uh, specifically, indexes in Neo are only used for looking up an individual node by a value, right? Okay. Uh, how do I use uh, Neo4j? Uh, how do I ma- man- mani- manipulate the data and how do I search for the data? Should we start with the, how do I change the data? Yeah, so, so the way you use Neo in general, right, generally speaking, is with a query language. Um, we have our own query language. It's called Cypher, and uh, it's specifically built for graphs, right? And if you look at all of Neo, it's all of Neo is specifically built for handling graphs really well, right? Including the query language. And this is a rather special because other new SQL databases doesn't in- invest in their own languages. They often use just JSON or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like query by example, things like that. Um, we we have definitely invested in our own query language. It's it is inspired by SQL. I'll definitely say that. Um, and uh, SQL has many good parts to it, uh, but it, one of, but, but it's it's not good for for querying these connections, right? SQL queries that that have uh, tens of joins are just not very readable. Right? Um, whereas a, a cipher query you can understand in a minute that does something that a four page SQL query might do. In, in much shorter time. Later. So Cypher, is it only for querying data or also for manipulation of data? Yeah, it's, it's actually for both. Um, so you have, uh, have a couple different clauses, just like you have in SQL. In SQL, you have select and uh, insert in these clauses, right? Um, and uh, in Cypher, you have the, at the core, you have the match clause, which finds a pattern in the graph, right? So Cypher is all about finding a pattern in the graph, and it it sounds might sound sound strange uh, looking for patterns, but uh, but if you if you um, let's say you're looking for uh, what example could it take? Just the friends of a person, right? Of a given person, uh, then the pattern you're looking for is, is a person A has a nose relationship to person B, and then you constrain that and say person A is actually this specific person. Let's say the name is David, right? And then the pat- all the, the 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 places in the graph where that pattern exists will actually end up being all the friend relationships around David. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's 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 a little bit easier to understand visually, um, but uh, that, and that's, that's the a, basic a, 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 or interesting. You have a, a rather uh, fancy. Illustrator or was it a visualization tool to to show the, the the nodes and the relationship between them? It's rather fancy to look at. It is. Thank you. I'm glad you glad you like it. Yeah, but, but but I don't know if I should use it in production in any way. But it's, it's nice to it's play mainly, around with. It's very nice to play around with, right? And it's mainly intended as a development tool. Um, so when you start up Neo, um, you download it and you start it up. And then you browse your web browser to it, and you can get a web uh, developer interface. Um, 
where um, web-based developer interface where you can put in your Cypher query in a little terminal and uh, you run it and you get a result back. And if you asked for nodes, uh, then they're all visualized, right? So graphs, as you may have imagined, as you, you saw in Near4j.com, are inherently easy to visualize, right? It lends itself very well to visualization. Again, whatever you draw on a whiteboard, right? That's the graph. That's what it's stored like in the database. And that's how it's visualized in our, in our uh, developer interface. As an, uh, an old guy as I am, um, I'm used to, of course, SQL. So I'm always uh, comparing other databases with SQL. So let me ask you, is it something like stored procedures or triggers in Neo4j or is that obsolete? It's not nothing to, to, to care about? Uh, no, it's definitely not obsolete. Uh, I, I don't think we've reached, or we have not reached, the point of uh, of fully stored procedures in, in the database. Uh, what we do have uh, is what we call unmanaged extensions, or just extensions. Um, and it, it's it's actually quite powerful. You basically take a piece of of code, and it's any JVM code. It can be Java or Scala or Clojure, uh, whatever JVM code you want. Right, and uh, you package it up into a little um, JAXRS um, class, basically. And so JAXRS is is uh, kind of an API for building RESTful services, and um, you package your code up into your JAXRS class uh, and put that in a jar file, and then you drop that jar file into Neo. So Neo is under the hood, uh, runs on Java. So if you drop that into Neo. It will get absorbed and uh, exposed at uh, uh, its own kind of restful uh, URI, right? That you configure. Um, so that way, you can actually run more algorithmic questions on the graph as well, right? So we work with a company in the U.S. that does pricing of airline routes, and uh, so if you search on like uh, Expedia or Kayak, you get a price there, right? And that comes from from like an, an, an engine somewhere. And uh, if you're looking at flying from, let's say, Los Angeles uh, through San Francisco, through Chicago to New York, then there may be 15 million different combinations for putting that complete flight together, right? And uh, finding out what are the top 10 and what's the price of those, it's not really a single query. It's more of an algorithm you run, right? And that's something you would typically write in something like Java um, and, and expose as as a, a service from the database, a separate service that it can answer. Uh, as you said, uh, this is run in Java, so I, I'm really interested now to see how do I install and run Neo4j in a high availability session, not only on my local machine. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So setting Neo up for high availability, is it, it's relatively straightforward. Um, you basically need to configure some uh, some property values in the configuration files for just pointing the different servers to each other. So you install, uh, if you could we, uh, go from the beginning, you install Neo4j on, on a virtual machine or something like that, a server? Yeah, you would typically have a set of those, right? Um, so let's say you're running five, right? So you start five, uh, five different VMs, each runs uh, or has Neo installed. Um, and then, then you configure each one 
uh, in the configuration file so that they point to each other, so they're aware of each other, basically. Um, and then you, you basically just start it up, and it, it itself, it forms, uh, forms a cluster, right, with a, a single elected master, and the rest of the instances uh, take a slave role. Um, and from there, it's, it's kind of hands-off operation, right? So you just have one public endpoint to the master, well, so so what we don't include is a load balancer. That's something that you need to bring, uh, and it can be anything from uh, just uh, your your uh, your IAAS load balancer, right, to uh, um, to an F five or a riverbed software load balancer or or anything else, right? Uh, HA proxy, um, and, and in your load balancer, you configure your instances, right, so that your requests get routed to, basically routed across your cluster. So you have a master-slave configuration in, in Neo4j. So if the master goes down, what happens then? Uh, th- then we'll just elect a new master automatically. So that's all all taken care of. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's hands-off operation, right? And as uh, as working for Microsoft, I know that Neo4j is working uh, in Azure also. Uh, yep. So that's good. That's good. It is very good. Yes. <laughs> How about? Um, uh, yeah, we have a talk about uh, performance. I think we have a talk about availability. How is it about security in this? Uh, is Neo4j? Uh, this is a rather um, important topic for many of my customers. And I mean security, for example, is don't have the availability for, for all users to see all nodes and so on. Yeah, that's a great question. So, it, I mean, if you look at, for example, Oracle, you can configure different uh, schemas, right, that have different permissions. You can even do, like, row-based access control, uh, all kinds of stuff, which I guess is what you're referring to. Um, yes, yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, but uh, in Neo... Uh, Fundamentally, when it comes out of the box, it's it's kind of open, right? It well it listens to only localhost, but beyond that, it's it's open. Uh, in, in the product today, there is no access control that that allows you uh, granular permissions to the node, right? So that you will not be able to today uh, specify that this specific node cannot be modified by a certain uh, certain user. Right? So you don't have any user object at all in, in Neo4j or something like that. Not, Correct. Not per- the database is, today is not aware of a user. Um, what you can do is we still support what we call security rules, uh, which are basically extensions that you can load into the database and that they can perform any arbitrary um, authentication of, um, of, of all your database operations and requests that come in, right? Uh, so you, you can definitely filter who gets to do what? You can build, uh, for example, there's an extension that that adds on uh, uh, user password authentication. Right, the database in itself is not aware of that, but the extension can be and can do gating of different users. Right, uh, but it won't won't do it down to the node. So it's per, per request. Uh, I use one of these extension. I think when I try to use Azure Mobile Services with Neo4j as the backend, and I think it's worked, but it. I don't know. It was the best way to 
to do this kind of security? Yeah, actually, the a pretty common option today for security is also because some people want to integrate with like AD or other kinds of services, right? And uh, so that's Active Directory, right? And and if you want to do that or, or LDAP, which I guess would be the same, um, the, the, then you're probably better off doing something like putting uh, a proxy in front of Neo. So you, in that case, you configure Neo to only listen on localhost, and then you put a proxy in front of it on the same box uh, that accepts the requests, authenticates them, and then forwards them to Neo, right? Um, and uh, uh, in that case, that proxy can obviously call out to whatever whatever you want, and it can be uh, be any service um I, I don't know if the, the the Microsoft ecosystem has services that do that, or you can use something like Nginx or Apache, uh, just the web Apache web server for just doing that proxying. Hmm. Yeah, we have security in in uh, our web server IIS, of course. But, yeah, uh, of course, yeah. IIS could certainly do that proxying as well. How about uh, <laughs> a simple question, maybe? How about backups? Yeah, it's a simple question, but it's oh so important. Yeah, uh, we we definitely value backups. It's something we support, uh, so you can you can do uh, well. We call them online backups, right? So as you're writing to the database, as it's working, um, you can capture a backup. So you always start capturing a full backup, right? Um, and then once you capture the full backup, you can can add on incremental backups on that as as often as you want. Um, one one of the big things right now is uh, that uh, what is called big data, as mm-hmm. you know, is Neo4j a part of big data or big data even bigger part bigger data? I'm thinking about Hadoop and, and such things, or is it a relationship between uh, Neo4j and and the big data movement? Yeah, I, I mean, if you if you ask uh, somebody. You ask ten different people what big data means. I think you'll get ten different answers. Um, eleven. Eleven. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I, I think for me, uh, big data means um, gaining insights from from uh, from from data that you've collected, right? In in, in one or, or or more ways. Some people associate it to uh, to volume as well, and that uh, that's that's partly true, right? We're seeing more. We're seeing an increase in the amount of data, that's for sure. Um, but but I think for me it comes down to gaining the insights from the data, right? Mining the data. Um, and uh, we, we at NEO definitely associate ourselves with the big data movement. Uh, but, I mean, I do want to point out if you have uh, petabytes of data, then, then NEO is probably not the right way to go. And in that particular case, you, you probably don't have – as many connections you want to mine, you typically, depending on who you are, but unless you're Google, uh, you don't usually build a real-time consumable service that 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 works directly off of petabytes of data. Right? Typically, it, it, of course, your mileage may vary, but if you're the 99.9% out there, uh, then you you probably don't do that, right? And, and in those cases, if you have petabytes of data. Then you pro- you're probably better off putting that in in some other solution that can crunch those individual records of data, and then feed something that's more enriched back to you that that would have more more meaningful connections between them, right? Um, so I mean, if you look at the database space as a whole, 
it's really only graph databases and relational databases that can handle connections in your data. Uh, and any other kind of database like uh, like uh, document databases last like one. a document database or or a column oriented database um, they don't handle any connections at all right you have to do all the lifting yourself you have to build the entire view yourself right and that's it's a very different way of looking at things and they they all fill their purpose right but that, that's that's one of the, the the trends another trend I think that came along with uh, with NoSQL which was you know a change in architecture right that previously at least people integrated in, they integrated and, and uh, they, they built all their systems directly against the relational database right and when you start a new project you check out a credential and you uh, for, from, from the DBA right and you start working against the database and uh, you share data through the database with others and today we're seeing a lot more service oriented architectures right where Let's say you're building a retail website, you want to store a shopping basket, well, great, you can put that in a key value store or something else, right? Uh, but if you're also introducing a product catalog with a recommendation engine, then you probably put that in a graph database, right? And, and you can use different databases to complement each other. And I think that's the key thing, right? Understanding that databases are really apples and oranges. They're not the same, right? And you can't necessarily just take a key value store and substitute it with uh, with something else. And this is the what we call the, the polyglot movement or maybe the polyglot database movement. Yeah, exactly. And I really want to recommend a book where Martin Fowler, many of you know who Martin Fowler is, a book called NoSQL Distilled, a brief guide to the emerging world of polyglot persistence. And there they have chapters about different kinds of databases, including graph databases. And the example is, of course, Neo4j, because Neo4j is the biggest graph databases. Do, do you have any competition? Uh, no, well... Well, you have, I think. But... <laughs> Competition-wise, no. Uh, we don't really see the other players around in the commercial landscape. So if you look at the graph database space as a whole, uh, there are a lot of graph products out there, right? And we see a new one like every week popping up. The space is super hot. Actually, as a, as a side note, if you look at the, the, the general growth of databases, database categories, you can see the relational database slightly declining, and you can see, uh, like, the document database and the column-oriented database. I think they're kind of uh, on top of the general ones. And then if you, just, like, go way higher, you see one category that's way, way higher, like double the rest. And that's graph databases in terms of growth, right? So, so it it's, it's a, it's a truly, truly stands out as a, as a booming, booming space right now. And, and there will be more products being introduced in the market by big and small players. That There's no doubt about that, right? But, but right now we have a, a super good position. We have a great product. And uh, I think if you look at the general size, we're about 10 times bigger than all the other players combined. So that's a... In the book, I see some database called Infinity Graph, Orient DB, Flock DB. And... Yeah, they, they would all be included in this small small group that's about in total one-tenth of our size. I think it's time, David, to wrap up, but I have two questions left I really need to have answers to. The first one, how do I start? You go to near4j.com and uh, follow the instructions. 
there is also actually um, a site you can go to if you want to do actually some specific hands-on learning. So nearfj.com, general product website, learn about our product. Uh, there's another site that's called graphacademy.com, graphacademy.com, where you can go and uh, actually take an online course uh, with a video course and, uh, and uh, some interactive elements. Uh, it's actually a really good course um, instructed by my, my uh, very good colleague, Andreas. And, Is it uh, the playground where you can use Cypher and test it against the database? or? Uh, well, you'll learn how to use Cypher there, okay, basically. Yeah. And then if there's, if you just want to explore kind of what people are playing with out there, uh, you can, of course, check out the use cases and the customer cases we have on our website, nearforday.com. Definitely recommend that. You can also uh, Google, if you, I think this is actually the best way, if you Google for two words, the first is graphgist, G-R-A-P-H-G-I-S-T, so graphgist, and the second word is wiki. So you Google for graph, just wiki, and click the first hit. should be a GitHub uh, wiki page. Uh, you'll get to our graph, just project. And uh, if you're familiar with gists, GitHub gists, it's basically like a paste bin, right? You can just put a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a single document up. What graph just does is it adds a layer of graph rendering to that. So you can annotate your paste, uh, your gist, uh, with some extra markup that says, this is actually a cipher query, run it. And uh, what the GraphGist engine will do is it will render it as a visual graph, right, or, or a table, depending on what, what the query does, right? And uh, you'll be able to, to run queries inside your GIST. And the, if you go to that page, if you Google GraphGist wiki uh, and, and go to the first hit, you'll get kind of a, a list of, um, of GraphGists that people have created. And they're basically um, a narrative of data, so uh, it, it consists of all all different kinds of, of cases uh, in different industries, from like education, finance, life sciences, uh, manufacturing, retail, telecommunications, transport, everything. Right, and you'll find uh, some really interesting. Um, stories about data that people have put together around graphs. Nice, and, and of course, the last question: What does it cost? <laughs> Call us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you have a, an uh, open source community edition. Yes. Uh, so Can I use that in production in any way or? Generally not, right? So, uh, well, okay. So, so it's <laughs> a great question, actually. Um, it depends. It depends. <laughs> I love that answer, right? So, so we do have a community edition. Uh, and we have an enterprise edition, and and uh, I, I think that's something that we we don't communicate well enough. In particular, the differences between them, right? And uh, community edition is primarily intended for people to understand the product. Right? You can download it, you can try the product out. Um, it's uh, kind of a stripped down version of our our enterprise edition. Uh, if you're considering it all going into production, we want you to run Enterprise Edition, right? That's where we spend all our dollars in terms of um, in terms of QA teams and all this stuff, right? That's where we put all the fancy features. Uh, that's where we put backups, um, high availability, all these things. So Community Edition, great if you want to run a project at home, uh, right? One-person one show, um, that's great. If you're using it for a business, uh, we want you to run enterprise, and please call us. We'll make it work for you. How is it? Is it support included then, or is that the support um, 
costs about uh, added to to the product or how do it work so uh, i know if i many of my listeners are working for for companies so they really not want to know this yeah uh, support is definitely included and uh, there, there are different levels of support, right? But uh, I mean, with with the larger organizations, right, like the Ebay's, like the Cisco's, like the Walmart's, um, NetApps, um, with those organizations, we of course do twenty four seven support. Um, and uh, if if you're a small startup, you may not value twenty four seven support, or you may. But that's uh, that's a discussion we can have, right? Uh, so we. We we definitely do cater to everyone, and and we we have a, a quite a track record of working with uh, with companies big and small, right? So so please just contact us, and we're happy to um, to to just get started with a conversation, right? And uh, we just uh, just love helping people being be, be successful with grass, right? So if if you're if you're thinking about uh, building a project with Neo, or if you think Neo could be right for you, then let's just save everyone some time, jump on the phone, and and uh, figure out if it's a good fit. Thank you very much, Dave, to this great introduction to uh, graph databases and, of course, your product, Neo4j. And if you're here in Sweden, uh, David will talk at Tech Days 2014 in uh, is it in November? I don't yeah, know. I think it's November nineteen twenty. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to know more and meet David because he's a nice guy, uh, well, I think he's a nice guy. <laughs> so thank you very much, David, that you took your time to talk with me about uh, graph databases and your product near for day. Thank you. Thanks, dog.